This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Nathan Olson, who I'm pretty sure ran the uh, Walnut Grove Boutique and sold everybody all their clothes and food and pretty much everything, because yeah, it's a general store. In any case, we appreciate all of our spoiler apps, but this one goes out to you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, we dodge a bullet and remain a triad, past pluperfect, present tense, and future people. There's an ominous shadow in the streets of New Tokyo tonight. Tetsuo! DC shows us Selena's afterglow, and after seeing their giant-sized man thing, Marvel wants to double on, on the point one. I am the boiling man come to break the bones of your sins. I am morphine in a wooden leg. I am vengeance among the shattered remnants of lives long dead. I am the fairy pixie. Hark and listen to my tale. The Major Spoilers podcast is in the wind, in the rain, in the darkness of night, and on the air. Hey everyone, welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad you could join us Yay! this week. Lots of good stuff coming up, including a discussion of The Crow. No, not the movie, but the original James O'Barr uh, book that came out in the 1980s, late 80s, and then again in the 90s, because it got canceled for about three years. Didn't get canceled, he just stopped. Canceled would imply that it that's someone told, else. no, don't make anymore. With it anymore. Yeah, Caliber, yeah, Caliber Press... The, the sales fell short of the company's expectations and they canceled the title. Tundra eventually and picked it up three years later and finished out the volumes. Later still, the rights would go to the now defunct Kitchen Sink Press. Mm. So there you go. That's what they that's what they used to call me in college. <laughs> kitchen that's, Sink Press or no. defunct? No. Now defunct. Now defunct. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be talking more about the crow later in the show, but for now, let's get to some news. Well, there's already a third Sherlock Holmes movie in the works, with Whoa, the second one hasn't even been I released even yet. Seen God. any of those? <laughs> Mattel buys Hit Entertainment. Hit Entertainment, of course, being the uh, Thomas the Tank Engine series and some of the other ones. Thank God it doesn't include Naughty. Mm-hmm. Uh, live action Akira is back in production. The Punisher headed to the small screen, and Marvel pumps point one orders. Let's roll that wheel of destiny and see where it lands. Round and round it goes. Landing on number three, Akira. It's a story we haven't heard in about two years. Leonardo DiCaprio, that was when the uh, the big news broke, was that he was going to produce a live-action version of the famous Japanese anime. It's going to be set in Neo-New York. Oh, Neo-New York. Which got everybody all upset. Quit whitewashing Akira. Quit putting white actors in Akira. And at that time, they were talking Keanu Reeves to play uh, Canada. Canada. Yeah. Canada. Uh, Then that got shipped and shelved, and people were just like, ah, this is too hot to touch. Until, Until this week, when Akira is finally getting the green light from Warner Brothers Productions, telling DiCaprio, go ahead and produce this mother. And let's get going. There you go. And of course, the whitewashing of the actors continues. Two big what names. What does that even mean? Uh, putting white actors in the place of uh, the Asian 
actors or the Asian roles. Two of the big names that are already being floated around for minor parts in the movie. Well, I guess it depends on how minor and how many changes are going on. The Colonel. Remember the Colonel? He's the one that Mm -hmm. fires the big space platform weapon. Rumored to be offered to Gary Oldman. And then uh, Lady Miyako. I think she's the seer that they come carrying around and she's always yelling and screaming and trying to get the crowds riled up. Helena Bonham Carter. Makes sense. Okay. Those are the two uh, people. And then, of course, there might be Garrett Hedlund might be uh, playing uh, uh, Canada mm-hmm. in that movie. But that's all rumor and speculation right now, although I do understand that they are in talks for that. Matthew, what do you think of this? I think the people are making a lot about... I think they're putting a little too much emphasis on the fact that the American cinema remakes movies all the time from all different places and all different countries and all different worlds. Yeah, the American cinema steals everything from everyone. So does American and, television. And, you know, it's, it, to me, it's the equivalent of, of being angry that, uh, you know, Fred Sanford was played by Red Fox when in the original English thing he was someone different. I can see the point. And, you know, I can definitely see as where you you could make a point that it's racism. And certainly people have the right to make that point. I don't think that's the point of what's going on here. I think it's another question of, you know, it would make an interesting movie, this property. Let's make a movie of the Adams Family. Let's make a movie of Frankenberry. Let's make a movie of the Rubik's Cube. Akira is a recognizable name. They're going to try and make a movie of it. If it sucks... You still have the original book. You still have the movie from 1980, Bloody Blue. You still have the remake where uh, Canada was voiced by a Power Ranger. All of that still exists. You know, it, I, I feel like people are going way overboard yet again with something that we haven't even really heard anything but vague production notes about. One of the things that uh, is interesting about this is that um, when you look at the last time that Akira was released in the United States. Well, this is going all the way back to 1989. Uh, The movie has been released in the United States twice, once in the original, well, when it was uh, moved over from Japan, Mm -hmm. and then again for the 20th anniversary, I think it got a limited run. Mm -hmm. You know how much money it's been brought in in the United States? Six dollars. $550,000 in the last... You know, 20 plus years, 30 years. Does that include like video sales? That doesn't include video. We're just talking about box box office. office. So, you know, the number of people who have watched the movie are probably fairly slim. Uh, Outside of the pop culture circle. Right, certainly. And even then, I'm going to bet that... If you look at the broad uh, movie watching or movie going audience, yes. Yeah, the the number of people who have seen Akira are going to be a minority, certainly. I'm going to be guessing about 1% or less Hmm. of the people have seen Akira, uh, of the movie going public. So nobody knows anything about Akira. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they're going to hear this and they're going to see Gary Oldman and they're going to see... Uh, Bonham Carter attached to this, and they're going to see whoever else is attached to this, and they're going to go, ooh, name power, star power, because that's what draws audiences in. Produced by Leonardo DiCaprio. Produced by Leonardo DiCaprio, and then people are going to go to the the theater to see that. Mm -hmm. Um, They might have a little bit of a disconnect when they see Akira, white people, New York, etc. That might be a little bit of a... people who haven't seen it have a disconnect? Well, when you say Akira, Rodrigo, do you think... 
Do you think uh, Irish immigrants? I'm 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 not a I'm not an accurate test subject. <laughs> um, honestly, most people aren't gonna. Uh, again, then then you're you're uh, supposing a, a a certain amount of of knowledge of Japanese names. True. Even at that point, I mean, really, if you if if you ambush somebody on the street and say, what do you think of when I say Akira? They're like, a Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> they could. They could. Yeah, I think for the most part, though, the large, that 99%, mm-hmm. um, they're not going to have seen oh, or know no. of Akira because they're too busy yeah, occupying Wall Street, obviously. So you can, yeah, you can show them whatever you want and call it Akira, and they're not they going to know it that it's Bob. different. Bob. They should call the movie Bob. Well, the good thing about Akira is that... Um, there are two central characters, possibly three. You can say there are three main characters, mm-hmm. and none of them are Akira. No, they're not. Which is which is kind of what I've always liked about it, right? Um, because it's still a name, so it doesn't quite put you in that run die hard situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. But it's still none of the characters that you see in the movie are actually Akira. You know, of the people that have seen the movie, I'm going to bet even fewer have read the 25-odd volumes. I I, I certainly haven't. I think I've read up to about volume 12 or 15, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then I moved and somebody tossed them in the trash. No! That's why she's not married to her anymore. Ex-wife. <laughs> I thought it was your mom. That was like no, 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 essential no. mom through way the comics. No, 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 no. I think that it's important to note, though, when you say they're whitewashing, the characters that they've talked about, the ones that we know that they're interested in talking to an actor about possibly taking a role in a movie that may not yet happen. <gasps> oh no, it's been given the green light, so it's happening. Characters. Well, no. even after well, movies, green are light doesn't mean a movie's going to happen. They sometimes get shelved. Yeah, I mean, movies have oh. been fully produced. Oh yeah, I realize that. Shelved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one though, but I bet they're going to get that, this one in the theaters. Oh, sure. At this point, they are in. They're talking about who they would like to see, who they would offer a part to, and neither of these roles are the major roles. No, none not. of these. The are only one is the uh, Garrett Hedlund, who might be in talks to play uh, Canada. The whole country. No, America's hat. Well, all they all they have to do is separate like the upper part of his head yeah, yeah, from yeah. his jaw and just have it flop around. <laughs> hey, but hey, I'm not yet. What's going on now. over here? Fart. Uh, yeah, where's all the spooky music going to come from? And the disjointed uh, flashbacks to little I mean, old children. I think holding up their hands you know, with the number thirteen on it. There is a lot going on in Akira, like a there lot is. of stuff there going is. on in Akira, and that's why. If, and if just you read... in the movie, and the movie's what like two and two, a half uh, yeah, hours, almost long. two hours, yeah. Um. So, you know, my not even concern, but my biggest curiosity about this is what's going to stay and what's going to go. And my fear is that most of it is going to go, that it's going to turn into yes, a movie about. A guy gaining psychic powers and fighting around and being a bad person, but that it's also going to not include a lot of the really creepy imagery, a lot of the conspiracy theory stuff going on. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very moody piece of work. It's a very specific, it has a very specific aesthetic. Yeah. And... 
that that is what I'm most afraid will be lost. Now, if of course you can have issues when somebody tries to do such a faithful translation that you know into another style like a live action style and then it mm-hmm. might fall flat mm-hmm. some might say that was part of the problem with watchmen was that really uh, strong necessity to get everything as close to the book as possible well that's going to be impossible because like i said if, if you've read it and and the books you know people have normal sized eyes it's going to be very <laughs> difficult well in the in the way it was released in japan there's six volumes right mm-hmm. in the united states depending on who was publishing it at first they started out with like slices of the volume so mm-hmm. it was like four issues per volume or something like that uh, to where right. you get up to 15 plus and then they started doing them as larger collected editions there is a heck of a lot more especially when you look at the colonel and what's going on in the military side mm-hmm. and especially what happens after they shoot the space weapon uh from the platform uh down into to to the tokyo stadium um there is so much especially with the religious aspect of it mm-hmm. even the movie barely touches on what's really going on right and so a live action movie there's no way that they're going to be able to incorporate that sure. into it so you're going to get focused on somebody has powers somebody's trying to stop the powers there is the craziness that happens with uh, the body going all explodey and and morphy mm-hmm. and then you fire a space weapon at it in the end and then somebody stands up at the end and is walking away as the waves lap at the remains of New York City. And the prom is tomorrow! <laughs> While Journey music yeah. fires up in the background. Dude, Journey doesn't do music anymore. Oh no, this is no, going to be a period. They don't need to. They play the same song every time. <laughs> so it's interesting. I, 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 I for one, want to see what happens with it. Uh, I, I'll be... I'm, in, I'm very interested in the process. Yeah. There was even, uh, I was trying to find it really quickly, but uh, George Takai, or Takei, um, actually made a, a comment about Akira on this petition uh, a while ago. This was back in April. Um, but I can't, I can't find his exact quote. He did sign a petition and he made a quote about it, so... People can go and look to, that up. To get it done or to... Well, at one point uh, at one point in the casting, they were looking at Justin Timberlake to also be in the movie. Mm-hmm. And again, that hasn't been ruled out. Right. But who knows? So, Justin, Justin Timberlake. Timber- Justin he's Timberlake. actually a pretty good actor. Yeah, and he's he's got an action movie coming out here oh, pretty does he? soon. Oh, yeah, uh, that Time whatever it is. Yeah, Time to... Time to die, time. Justin Timberlake. Die, Timberlake, die. <laughs> you know, there's another uh, Die Hard movie coming yeah. out on Valentine's Day. Uh, all right, everybody, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can read about this uh, Akira movie. Plus, you can read all about Marvel pumping up the orders for their point one launch. It's essentially doubling all of the uh, all of the uh, issues being sent to uh, retailers. If you ordered 20, they send you 40. Wow. If you ordered 80, they send you 160. Wow. Yeah. How many well, they ordered 77? They will send you 152. 154. Uh-huh. No, they're going to send you 152 because that's the way Marvel works. <laughs> Math is hard. Let's go shopping. All right, everybody. Also, oh, people have been asking about this and waiting for this over in the Major Spoilers uh, store over at Majorspoilers.com slash store. 
you can buy the official Critical Hit t-shirt. Whoa. It is pure awesome. Rodrigo was just looking at it a moment ago and going, wow, the pictures just do not do this thing justice. Yes. It is awesome upon awesome. It really is. And it's only nineteen ninety five. Whoa. Yeah. What if I am really gigundous? Like how gigundus? Like gigundus enough that I can still wear shirts. <laughs> <laughs> then you're not gigundus enough. Oh, all right. But let's just say you are all the way up to 4X gigundus. Mm-hmm. You can get a shirt and we're not charging you extra. That if you is, look at it, that is a large a large has a certain amount of fabric in it. Uh-huh. A quad extra large has four times the fabric in it. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it's a direct. Every every X is, is actually a multiplier. And thus, no, we're still charging you the same amount for four times the fabric. Wow. Four times the dead uh, worms that, that wove the, the silken the, threads. The dead nylon worms. <laughs> the nylon worms. The nylon worms. You can find out more about the Critical Hit t-shirt if you're going to order it, I would order it now. This is a product that's not going out of the store, mm-hmm. but the first order will ship on November 10th. So right. if you want to get it, you better order it now because who knows how many are going to be in the store before we have to order some more. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Meaning we ordered a bunch of them. Those will come in. We'll ship those out. If you if you order after November something. Yes. You, you may have, have to, to wait, wait until we build it, until we buy it, buy yep. a new batch. So, and you've heard my my complaints against our t-shirt person. Mm. Seems though when yeah, you're saying better. I'd like to order 250 shirts, we'll have that ready for you next yeah. week. Sir. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's my right, good sir! Right away. Oh, pip- can I interest you in some caviar <laughs> while you wait? <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will get to some reviews. How to get a major spoiler shout-out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major Spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. And once again, thank you to everyone who's made a donation to the Major Spoilers website, to the Major Spoilers cause, to the Major Spoilers experience. Mm-hmm. The experience includes what, Rodrigo? It includes the Major Spoilers website. Right, and all the fantastic content that's there. Mm-hmm. What else? Up to three podcasts. <laughs> the three, oh, three different, I thought you meant three podcasts, like this episode and two others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Major Spoilers podcast, uh-huh. Critical Hit podcast, and our brand new... Top five podcast. Top five. Woohoo. And what else? Uh, you can follow Major Spoilers on Twitter. Yes. You can also follow probably three other guys on Twitter. Yes. Um, you can go to the Major Spoilers forums. Yes. And get a username and talk to people about stuff there. Yes. Um, wow. All of that, Rodrigo. We're for also free. kind of on Facebook. Yeah, kind of. Maybe. And, uh, we have a Until mild, the end of the month, whenever they shut our Facebook we, page down. We have a mild Google Plus presence. Oh, yeah, mild. We did a little live chat a few weeks ago with yeah, somebody. Yeah, we did so. a hangout, yeah. Yeah, so uh, be on the lookout for that. And if you think that that entire package, mm-hmm. the website, the podcast, the forums, the chats, the thingings, and the thungers, and the framostats, as Matthew is so fond of saying again mm-hmm. and again, if that's worth something to you. You can do a one-time donation, 
where you can do five, ten, or ten dollars a month. Ten dollars a month will get you a show dedicated just to you, just mm. like Matthew did at the top of the show to our dear, 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 dear friend Nelson. Merlin Olson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mary Kate Olson. Yes, Merlin Jones. Yes, the great NATO. Let's talk about some reviews. Reviews. Wait, before we talk about reviews, I have a correction to make. Uh Uh-oh, a correction. Yeah, I got an email from my mom, and she was like, uh... You know I listen to your show, Rodrigo, and you are burning in hell this weekend. Yes. She's like, do not expect to be fed when you come back home. Why why Uh, would your mom send you an email? Well, first off, I think, uh... I think my mom takes, you know, doesn't doesn't necessarily roll with a with a whole me kind of maybe making fun of my parents a little bit, um, which I I only I only do it because I I like them. Really, I only make fun of people I like. And uh, wait a minute, you've never made fun of me. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> anyway, but she also sent me an email um, with a correction because I said I believe I said that menudo was soup. Yes. Um, but it's technically not. It's a stew. And it, it wasn't so much me not knowing what it was so much as I just think as anything that has, you know, up to 40% broth to be a soup. No, oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like, this soup has some meat in it. I guess it depends on the company that you're dealing with. Because, you know, if it's like Campbell's mm-hmm. and you're getting chicken noodle soup, right. it's like 99% broth and 1% noodles and mm-hmm. chicken. But if you go like with Hormel, mm-hmm. you know, it's like... Ten percent broth and right, but it's still ninety nine percent byproducts. So, so I mean, it is a. I can see that. I can see that as a and mistake. And she, uh, she actually told me, and I don't know what these are uh, called in English, but there are four parts to the beefs to, to to a cow's stomach. Okay, and you can actually make a specific type of menudo out of each of them, or mix them all. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. So variations on a theme. Yes. You can have one stomach or all four. Yes. But just so you know, they are they are in fact the stomach of a cow. So if you're uh, you know, squeamish about viscera, then Yeah, uh, but you know you cook that stuff up, it tastes just like octopus. Yeah, pretty much I, and it, it kinda has that consistency, a lot of it. Um it, it you know, it has that squishiness, but it yeah. also holds that uh that flavor really well because mm-hmm. that's kind of what a stomach does. Yes, exactly. Holds the it's flavor just, in. It's just a you know porous stomach lining. <laughs> Doesn't that sound delicious? Matthew, I think it does. Matthew, speaking of things that are delicious, uh-huh. how about that fear itself? The home front from Marvel Comics. I am. I am. I, I am literally speechless. <laughs> literally speechless, and not about. Fear itself, the home front colon. Although that as well. Is this a bit. seventh issue? Yes. Is this is this yes, a scene is. from the perspective of what's her face, the reporter? God no, I hate her. Okay. Sally Floyd? Sally Floyd can blow me. No, this is <laughs> Fear Itself the Home Front is basically a continuation of Marvel's tendency to have quote unquote the home front. It doesn't really have a whole lot of ties to the previous home fronts from Civil War, Secret Invasion, and I believe something about the War of 1812. This book is split between Speedball, um, The Chosen, and then little one page bits and pieces here and there. Each issue has had different individual bits, but so Speedball, is it, a, is it an anthology? 
or is it a mishmash of just stuff? Isn't an anthology a mishmash of stuff? Well, but you're saying there's like a one page well, and think, a tidbit. Basically, and... it's I, I think what it is is it's an anthology, all of which takes place during whatever event Fear it's itself. covering. Okay. So this, right. in this case, Fear yeah. Itself. Okay. So yes, it's an anthology and a mishmash. A mythology, if you will. The Honestly, the weakest part of the story for me is the story. Because the speedball portion has art by Mike Mayhew. And Mike Mayhew is kind of like Greg Horn combined with Greg Land. In that he has kind of an almost photorealistic style in terms of faces and his imagery. But the whole point of this is that several years ago, during or at the outlook of what became the superhuman civil war the new warriors were in stamford connecticut and blew up the whole town mm-hmm. now they really they really didn't nitro with nuts but this seven issue part of it has been speedball trying to come to terms with uh miriam i believe her name is the woman who has started an entire coalition against young superheroes and against what the new warriors did now, of course, this being fear itself, everybody's been afraid for seven issues. <laughs> she and Speedball fight off uh, supervillains together because that's, you know, that's what soccer moms do. And then they come to terms and she says, I don't have to like you, but if you want to come to Stanford again, you don't have to hide. Now, previous issues of fear itself have given Speedball basically this weird kind of flash mob thing where he's been running around with his iPhone taking pictures to try and make everybody less scared. Mm-hmm. And it apparently worked. So that happened. Um, the, se- the second part of the story is basically forgettable. X-23, Power Man, Spider-Girl, Amadeus Cho, and the new Thunderstrike have all been gathered together as sort of a new super team. And the solicitation for this issue says, will they become a team? I hate solicitations like that because there's two answers. There's yes, they will, or no, they won't. And either way, I'm irritated because we get to the end of this story and it turns out, no, they won't. And X-23 actually kicks Amadeus Cho in the nards. I'm not sure why, however. Um, there's a one-page bit by Howard Chaikin. There's a bit of backstory with Phil, the bald guy from Oklahoma who gave Captain America a gun in issue six of fear itself. It's very uneven. The whole issue is very uneven. And the parts of it that really work for me, the parts of it that I'm thinking, yes, this is great. This is really awesome and super cool. I'm, I'm kind of confused by because at the end of fear itself, it seemed like Captain America was making a stand in New York, but here it seems he's making a stand in Broxton, Oklahoma and I, 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 they just kind of lost me. And the issue starts with this very important thing that says, please read Fear Itself number seven before you read this issue. Matthew's assessment is that won't help you. Hmm. This is a lot of ancillary material. This is basically the director's cut without the movie. This is mm-hmm. the CD extras. The best parts of it are inconsistent. Um, one and a half slices of meatloaf. Fear itself, the home front. If you read all seven issues, I'm sure we'll make a lovely trade paperback. But these particular stories don't really mesh. They don't really do anything other than say, boy, that crossover sure is over. 
And, you know, given how the crossover end, I was a little ended. I was a little frustrated anyway. So not the best thing that I've read from Marvel this week. Oh, that is a shame. What was the best thing you read from Marvel this week? Best thing I read from Marvel this week? Oh, I don't know. I might have reviewed it for that there website that we do on the side. It might possibly, if you was paying attention, have gone up on Saturday. It might have involved a number in the word Avengers and Dominic Fortune. Mm -hmm. Well, keeping in mind that not everybody who listens to our show actually goes to the website, if you can believe that. I don't Majorspoilers.com. Yeah. Avengers 1959 number two was my favorite read ah, of the week. Okay. That's not a time travel story. That's just a, this is what happened back in 1959. It's uh, sort of one of those imaginary flashbacks. Okay. Cool. Let's flip over to the DC universe. Remember that controversial Catwoman and how at the end of Catwoman number one, she and Batman were about to get it on and most of their clothes stayed on. Catwoman number two opens with them getting it on. And sure enough, most of their clothes stay on. To an extent. And uh, this is really, it's kind of interesting because a lot of the, uh, a lot of the story is driven by Selena's inner dialogue and how she's like, oh, I really like Batman. I hope he likes me. He's so hunky. And of course, she doesn't know who Batman really is under the mask. Uh, but the big point in this story is she's been tasked or is trying, this is a big revenge story. She's trying to get revenge on a member of the uh, Russian mob. And to kind of set things up, she's stolen a painting of a horse that means nothing, has no artistic value, no monetary value, but it means a lot to these Russian mob families. And she steals it, and she's willing to give it back, but she puts uh, pits two of the crime mobs uh, uh, against each other. And in order for the exchange to go down, she does it at one of Bruce Wayne's big extravaganzas. And of course, she shows up. Extravagances? Yes, she shows up not looking like uh, the Selena Kyle we know, but a blonde, uh, more like Selena, sexy Gomez. lady, lady. Except, yeah. Um, uh, and Bruce Wayne instantly recognizes her as Catwoman, but she doesn't connect that it's Bruce Wayne. In fact, she makes several comments about, "Oh man, he's quite the playboy, and maybe in a different time I'd be interested in him." But man, he smells of scotch, and boy, he's not going to remember me tomorrow. And uh, just kind of cements that that Bruce Wayne is quite the actor when it comes to playing the drunk playboy. Um, Selena goes into one of the back rooms where the exchange is supposed to take place. The two Russian mobs see each other. Bruce Wayne shows up. Selena tries to rescue him from the shenanigans that are about to ensue. Plants a big kiss on him, throws a firecracker in the room full of uh, Russian thugs with guns, and they shoot each other, including the big Russian mobster that uh, that she's been trying to get her revenge on. Pretty good revenge story, actually, in the way that it plays out. Problem is, when she goes back to her friend Lola's apartment, she finds out her friend Lola is dead, which I'm sure a lot of people are going to have problems with. And then she's immediately attacked by a new character who at first I thought was going to be, oh, they're reintroducing Black Mask into this universe. And then the character steps out and he goes, you can call me Bone. You must be the irritating woman who, who dresses up like a cat and has been stealing from me. And that's where the issue ends. I really thought Smiley we were going to see... Smiley bone or phony bone? No, it is, uh, it is scary bone. Mobstery bone. So, uh, yeah. And I miss my Uncle Joe, Joe. <laughs> um, the art in this issue isn't bad. Uh, the coloring is really weird, especially how 
it's like everybody has uh, W.C. Fields disease, the rosacea, uh, because all their noses are rosy uh, throughout the issue. Uh, this is art Never by work, animals yeah, everybody drunk. Yeah, everybody's drunk. Um, and it's just really odd to see that, um, that the coloring on the noses is so different. Um, otherwise the art is pretty dynamic. There's a lot of movement in the art. Um, it does get very violent. It does get very sexy. As Jed Winnick said a uh, months ago in an interview, this is going to be a different Catwoman, And we are certainly seeing a different Catwoman than what we've seen in past volumes. Um, this is not too bad of a story. Um, but I still think that it's, it's wavering as far as the entrance, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, attention span is going to be for, uh, for many people. And so I'm only going to give this three out of five slices of meatloaf. I don't remember what I gave the first one, or if I thought the first one was really that good. But uh, three out of five. If you were irate at the last one, you should probably pick this one up so you can see if your your ire is justified. Yes. Yes. Rodrigo, what have you got for us? I oh, you got an independent comic. Yes, from. Dynamite. Dynamite. <laughs> Dynamite. I'm sure they love that. I'm sure they do. Um, I'm sure J.J. Walker loves it too. Yep. Um, it is Vampirella number 11, in which Vampirella learns a thing. Um, so in this in this story, uh, Vampirella and her assistant, we'll call her Girl Watson. Okay. Um, they show. They go to this house, and they're like, "Oh, we need your help with a demon." So they are like trying to exercise a demon, and it goes into the assistant, and then they go into a dream sequence, and then the assi- the assistant beats the demon, and the demon goes into an old lady. Uh oh. Um. That's 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 your plot summary there. Uh, as far as the art, I'm. I really wasn't all that impressed by it. Uh, you know, it seemed like uh, the the proportions of people's faces changed a lot. Mm. Um, it seemed like there were moments when the detail in just certain pages just dropped drastically, and sometimes it was you know pretty detailed. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, the the dialogue was kind of problematic for me. I thought there were times when it was clear that a character was trying to, obviously, or the author wanted us to feel that this character was being deep or, like, mysterious or whatever, you know, sort of doing very poetic, like, I am that which... You know, but it, it, it kind of comes across as Darkwing Duck mm. type stuff, you know. So the I sidekick's am, name is Abigail? Um, what is the sidekick? I don't remember what the yeah, sidekick's like name is. Check. Yeah, yeah. Um, Webigail. Yes, Webigail. No, Webigail is from Ducktales. Goslin is. <laughs> oh the yeah, Goslin. That's right. Darkwing Duck. Um, and there's there's a couple times when when it's supposed to be kind of intimidating or like poetic dialogue, and it just kind of sounds like somebody's trying too hard. Which we might talk about a little bit more later. Um, <laughs> all in all, not really that impressed by it. Again, I haven't been following the storyline, so I don't know if anything has led us to this. But this felt like a 
the it's it's clear that the relationship between Vampirella and her assistant is developing. Mm-hmm. Um, but this story in and of itself feels like a one shot thing, like like an episode of a of a of, of you know straight up an, an episodic TV show. Like oh yeah yeah your Warehouse Thirteens or uh, your Buffies or your, your X Files before season three <laughs> before season three. Um. All in all, I'll probably I'd give this I'd give this two slices of meatloaf. It was just kind of generally unimpressive. Mm. Um, but uh, if you know, we do have a, a comment section. So if you've been following it and and you think that I've missed something, you can certainly let me know. And I read the comments. You do. Mm-hmm. Yep, you do. He comes every week. Did you see what people wrote in the? Oh my god! People just don't get it. Ah, PayPal. Ah. All right, and listeners, you can go and check out many, 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 many more reviews, including Avengers 1959, over at the com website, right under the reviews section, where you can find a quick listing of some of the 15 recent ones that we've done over on the right column. In fact, over on the right column, you will see our weekly poll of the week. It's time! Yes, it is time. For the major spoilers, poll of the week. Poll of the week this week. In case people haven't noticed, it's October. And every year for the past five years, we have done a costume contest. And this year, we're giving away the granddaddy of old prizes that we've ever given away. An iPad 2 to some lucky winner. (laughs) Electric Boogaloo. Now, we had a crap ton of entrants this year. I think it was like 70-some, Rodrigo. Is that what it came out to be? Yeah, they were a bucket. Now, of course, some people entered multiple times, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. There's some very talented people out there modeling a bunch of different costumes. And it was up to the Major Spoilers crew, Matthew, Rodrigo, myself, about four or five other people. Mm -hmm. All sat down, and we had (laughs) to rank. (laughs) Yes, Matthew, Matthew, Stephen, and me, and the rest of the Lightman Institute. Uh, Scroll Brian, all of our other interns, Otter Disaster, Jimmy, the Professor Thurgood, and Thurgood Marshall, right? Uh, voted. Um, uh, Web, uh, Dante, Galen Launchpad, mm-hmm. Rob and Rob, right? Randall. You know, and also Rob and Rob, yes, and Rob and Rob. And we narrowed it down what we thought was going to be five. I thought you know this weighted ranking system. Works out pretty good, although yeah. it's weird because somebody could rank somebody as, this is my favorite costume, mm-hmm. and all it takes is two other people to give another entrant two mediocre ratings, and it pushes that higher up on the on the list, which right. is fine, because right. that's kind of how it works out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we thought we'd end up with just five, and we thought there'd be a clear separation in which five right. were in the top. Wheat, chaff. Chaff. Well, no, there is no chaff. They're all wonderful, unique people who have entered this contest. You are all wheat. All beautiful snowflakes. But we ended up not with five entries, Rodrigo. We ended up with seven people Mm. in our finalists. This system is broken. No, it's not really broken. I think we could tweak it a little bit, Mm -hmm. but uh, I think it actually works pretty well. Yeah, that looks good. Yeah. Come out of here, I think. Um, But the thing is, now it's out of our hands. Mm Mm-hmm. We now have the major spoilers poll this week is the listeners, the readers, the fans, the fans of the costume cosplayers, 
all get to go vote on who they want to win out of our selection. So this week, this year, I think we've got some pretty good entries. We've got a guy dressed as Deadpool. Mm-hmm. got yes. a girl dressed as Jinx from the uh, Teen Titans series. The mm-hmm. T-E-E-N-T-I-T-A-N-S, Teen Titans. <laughs> I thought she was baby uh, Rita Repulsa. did not know who Jinx was, quite frankly. Super Adaptoid is in the list. There is a pretty funkadelic warlock that made a, made the list. Mm-hmm. Modok, which is pretty Modoc. cool. Modok. Uh, a very cute Lady Blackhawk. And Mr. Freeze, which looks just like the animated series Mr. Freeze. Mm-hmm. Almost looks like an action figure. Um, yeah. Instead I don't know of what saying. He did to his head. Uh, bald cap, maybe. Put his whole head in plastic. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. It's got to be hot in there. You can see it steaming up right where his mouth is in mm-hmm. those pictures. No, that's that's a freeze effect. Rodrigo, uh, without saying who is your favorite among the seven, who else did you think were really great, great cosplayers this year? Um, I thought that some of the uh, boobies were good. <laughs> there were there yeah. were some Ele- kind of- Electra Woman was particularly well done. Yeah, there were some kind of kind of not. Uh, there were there were plenty of uh, people showing off some skin, uh-huh. but not as much skin in any individual costumes has been shown in previous years. Right, right, right. We've gotten some super naked people before, but unfortunately, not naked people before. Yes, well, that might be fortunate. I agree. Yeah, nobody nobody went as uh, Doctor Manhattan this year. Thank right. God. I did actually. That's my. I'm going to work on Monday in my Doctor Manhattan costume. You've been warned, listeners. Uh, I actually have my special pixelation set up. It's going to be awesome. Put it away, John. <laughs> there were we had a bunch of Scarlet Witches, and a lot yeah, of them, a lot of them were really good. You know, in years Although past, I wonder if the, <laughs> the 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 Scarlet Witch contingent didn't accidentally kind of take itself out of the running. It's kind of how you have like a, a, an independent candidate right. that is too close to one of the uh, main parties right, candidates, right. and right. it ends up like pulling that guy out. You know, in years past, whenever I displayed all the entrants, I would say, "Well, here's a group of Scarlet Witches. Here's a group of Spider Man. Here's a group of Jokers." Mm-hmm. Um, this year, I just totally randomized it. Right. So when you look at it, you know, you see a Scarlet Witch up top, you see a Scarlet Witch down below, uh, you see a yeah. couple of Jokers, a couple of Red Skulls were there this year. Um, the Mary Marvel contingent, uh, both Dark Mary Marvel and mm-hmm. Classic Mary Marvel, were very cute. Yeah. Classic Mary Marvel was just adorable. There was a Shikari. And s- yep. Yeah. 70s Supergirl with her hot pants and little flippy shoes. Mm-hmm. It was a very simple costume, but it was one of the most accurate superhero costumes I've seen because that was the actual costume that she wore in like 1967 or something. Yeah. That was kind of cool. Cardboard Tube Samurai. Yeah. He cracked yep. me up. Um, Shikari yep. was amazing. And nobody knows who Shikari is but me and five She's guys. A who Legion of Superheroes person. I know because she combines the two things that I like best about the Legion. Shikara and the bugs and teleporting. She, yeah, <laughs> she's, a bu- she's a monster and she's a hot girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there were some really good ones. Uh, I really like the Super Adaptoid one. Yeah. I like the- Super Adaptoid is phenomenal. The one girl who went as evil Supergirl from the, um, uh, 
Kotobukiya um, little statues that mm-hmm. they have, the anime statues. I thought that one was a pretty yeah, good that was really repre- representation. Um, and then somebody, when is the Black Terror? Which yeah, I liked as that well. That was a good one. Matthew, did you have some favorites on that list? I went over Entrance. many of my favorites. I think Firestar was really adorable. Um, the the Firestar, there was um, the Modesty Blaze, extremely, extremely entertaining. Maybe not necessarily as high profile as you'd expect. But I, I think that what I really appreciated this year was the the tendency to have characters where you're like, okay, I'm Modoc. Right. Who would think to dress up as Modoc and to do a convincing Modoc or yeah, yeah. the Warlock? War, Modoc and Warlock both made it into the final seven, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And the Super Adaptoid was ridiculously accurate. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, in that fact, is an uh, incredible chunk of work. Well, yeah, I guess when people go and look at the finalist page, they'll get to see all the images that were sent. And he goes through the whole thing of let me change and adapt right, uh, the right. different, you know, here's me with Wolverine claws and with fire powers. And here's me with, you know, whatever else he's got. Thor going Hammer. On. Thor Hammer. Thor Hammer. I hardly wait. You want to make any predictions? Me? Yes. I Sure. I believe that someone in a costume will win. Do you have a certain costume in mind? No, that wouldn't be a prediction. That would be a prognostication. Well, prognosticate. Uh, Of the seven, if I had a vote? Well, you do, because you can vote. Aha! Can I tell who I voted? You can if you want. It's not cheating. I believe that everyone is awesome, but if I were to sit down right this instant and I did not you know, represent major spoilers in any way. And by the way, it should be noted that I do not represent major spoilers in most ways. I would probably say the super adaptoid just from the sheer amount of work that had to go into that thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the individual, if you look at the chain mail, the chain mail seems to be individual flaps. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. And plus I've always loved the super adaptoid. One of the first comic books I ever bought was uh, Iron Man 40 Pravada, which was the super adaptoid, uh, fighting Iron Man, which is kind of nice, and he beat him by having the super adaptoid adapt his heart condition and die. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. That's how you beat the super adaptoid. Yep. <laughs> super adaptoid comes in and you're like, Professor Hawking, go! <laughs> I will stop you, super adaptoid. <laughs> Rodrigo, what about you? Um, I think that in previous years... <laughs> <laughs> There, Matthew. Matthew cracks himself. Now, normally, I would edit, edit these comments out, but not this week. Nah. <laughs> it's okay. Matthew has come to the realization that he's actually a bad person. <laughs> okay. That's that's actual legitimate you know evil cackling. <laughs> Professor Hawking saves the day because he's a heroic presence. Yes, I'm, I'm sure that's what it was. Um, <laughs> in previous years... Uh, there's been a, I, I think what what tends to get me, uh, what, what I like the most is seeing an adaptation where somebody takes, like, the personality of, of the costume itself and manages to translate it mm-hmm. into the costume, mm-hmm. like, from whatever work it comes from. 
Um, I was a big fan of Teen Titans Robin because oh, they because made the shiny. they made the con the the costume very blocky, right, right, and rectangular like the actual drawings. Of course, the Atomic Robo, I think, also from that yeah, year. Yeah, yeah was was really well done because it had that you know if you looked at it from the side it looked like it had been drawn that right way. right so i'm a big fan of jinx mm-hmm. because you know she took that entirely improbable hair mm-hmm. and managed <laughs> to pull it, it off and made everything work really well and she looks like that character yeah when it first came in i was like oh are we doing video game characters what's that calamari or whatever that little calamari Car- yeah, yeah yeah that's what i was like oh and i was like Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, sure, that works. Um, I really, really like uh, the Mr. Freeze. I think that one is just simple. Just like you were saying, it looks like mm-hmm. something yeah, right out of absolutely. the right out of the uh, the cartoon or right out of the uh, animated series comic book. Um, I see the Batman know, villain. Well, yeah, that too. Uh, I really also like the Warlock, and I think the Warlock one works best if you were in under a black light. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine what that yeah. thing would look like under a black light. Probably very electric. Uh, when I first saw Super Adaptor, I was like, wow, this is going to be the sure winner for mm-hmm. sure. But I really like the the cute lady Blackhawk. Oh, yeah. There's, um, yeah. It, it just, again, it's, it, it's, you know, weirdly, it's all about execution. It's like, right. you know, that's that's a jacket and a hat, but all put together, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. And what's funny is she's in, I think she entered like four times in four different costumes. Mm-hmm. And each time you look at her in a different costume, you're like, that's not yeah, the same she girl. She looks entirely different. She yeah. does look really different from one to one. But I went with Mr. Freeze because I really liked how that mm-hmm. one uh, changed. Um, and there is an entire week of voting that's going to go on. So not only can you, the listeners, go and vote today. Clo- uh, voting closes October 31st, right around 11.59 p.m. Central Daylight Time. Uh, but all of these people who I guess all belong to the same... I didn't realize it. And when the finals, when the nice. finalists were li- announced, they all belong to the same cosplay organization. I think in Florida is where they're at. Uh, they're, they can solicit their own members and go and pitch. And there's going to be a lot of votes by the end of next week. Mm-hmm. By this time next week, I'm going to predict eh, 2,000 people. Nice. We're almost there. We're halfway there. Almost halfway to, there today. Nice. Winner gets an iPad. Winner gets an iPad 2. Not two iPads, Ooh. but iPad 2. And everyone the winner gets, gets an iPad as well. And what's real interesting is right now the voting is really close. Usually I say mm-hmm. at about 100, you can tell who the clear winner is going to be. Not right now. Yeah. No. Not right now. Yeah. Uh, there that is... 100 thing only works up till about 350, at which point things start really getting weird. Yeah. Who's in the lead right now, Matthew? 750 votes. Uh, the lead right now, very, very slight lead, uh, Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Who, by the way, I have to admit I love the fact that he has the Deadpool yellow and Helvetica caption boxes behind his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's actually pretty cool in one of the pictures. But Deadpool is in the lead. Jinx is very close. Super Adaptoid, very close behind that. Really, it's it's pretty much about a five-way dance right now. And I think if we're, you know, if we expect 2,000, this could go anybody's direction at this point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the difference, be between, the difference between the, the top and the bottom position right now is 12%. 12% of the number of votes in play is like 45. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's an awful lot. Uh, you know, originally when this voting started out this morning, it started out with MODOK at the top. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Jinx was in the lead for quite a while. And then it's Super Adaptoid flipped up. And now Deadpool, about this afternoon, Deadpool took the lead and it just kind of fell, fell in line with that. And, of course, there are a lot of comments. A lot of comments, both positive and a few negative comments about some of the costumes, but 
I think they're all winners. If I could give them all an iPad, I would. But you know what? We don't have those kinds of funds. No. Because people aren't donating money. People want to know what their money goes to. Part of it goes to this great prize and getting more people to see major spoilers. Holy crap. You know how many people came to the site yesterday and today? A lot. A crap ton. 92. Yeah. Take that times a million. 92. 2000. All right, everybody. Uh, head over there. I don't believe cast your vote before the end of October 31st. The winner shall be crowned and walk away dancing. Neener, neener, neener. I got an iPad. You know what? If they're all part of the same group, maybe they could share the iPad for grooving. <laughs> yeah. Like they do on the Starship Enterprise. Spoken, spoken as the father of one child in the house. <laughs> There's a reason for that. When something's 10 pounds and 24 inches tall comes out of you, you're done. This is what I'm told. <laughs> All right, everybody. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about James O'Barr's The Crow. Crow. The Crow. The Crow. Hey, Major Spoilers. This is Blue Yonder from the site. I actually read The Crow a couple weeks ago. And thanks to someone on the site, <coughs> Matthew, <coughs> uh, talking about a site which reviews tropes on TV, I was able to learn a great deal of background on The Crow, especially about the uh, tragedy which eventually inspired James Abar to write The Crow. And that adds, I think, a whole new dimension to The Crow. You quickly realize that everything Eric Draven is experiencing, James Abar has experienced. And that makes this comic very poetic, but it also makes it very painful. Uh, it's a good book. I like the art. The art's a little bit all over the place. Sometimes it's very inky and indie, and other times it's very graceful and painted. But all in all, it's a very good read. Uh, I think Eric Draven's journey starts with denial and kind of ends with acceptance in a very uh, cathartic way. Uh, I'm going to quit rambling, but it's a good book. It may not be for everyone. It's a little bit different than the movie, despite having the basic plot, but I definitely recommend it, and I can't wait to see what you guys think of it. Bye. Caca! right. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody, for calling in and leaving a comment. Jeez, I guess I should have checked to make sure we even had comments. That's what I get for recording <laughs> this show. Before I lay oh, down the here's comment. Wild drunk. Yes, wild drunk. And before I listen to all of those Skype messages. Let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's gotta be at least eight messages. Sir, your cable will be turned off Thursday if you do not turn in your bill. Sir, this is the I'd water like to department. To tell you the good news about never mind. Ooh, hey, <laughs> speaking of good news, do you guys speaking of Cthulhu and the good news, uh-huh. you guys watch Ben Ten? Sometimes there was no. a creepy episode. A f- uh, it was like three episodes ago, three weeks ago, where um, Ben Ten's girlfriend Julie, she's the tennis star. She's only ranked eighty sixth in the nation, mm-hmm. uh, but she is approached by this group of people called the Circle of Fire group or something like this. Join our group; it'll change your life. And it really comes off as a cult. Organ- as a cult, and they worship uh, Dagon. Really? Yes, and they name him by name Dagon in the episode, and the art that you see is very Cthulhu-like. 
Uh, Dagon came and gave the, the people fire and the wheel and helped advanced civilization. Wow. Uh, ben 10 goes to this and is like, oh, this is all hockey puck. And uh, basically laughs and gets Julie mad at him because, you know, it's illegal for uh, alien technology to be used to advance a culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then they go inside uh, the secret chamber and lo and behold, there is something that looks like Dagon Cthulhu. And it is Vilgax in his natural state of not able to form a body. But man, it was pretty cool. I was like, no way. They're pulling from the Cthulhu myth or from the uh, the old gods mythos, the Lovecraftian mythos mm-hmm. to create this character. And I thought that was pretty cool. So if you hadn't seen it, the horror from beyond. Ah! Ah! Speaking of horrors ah! from beyond, mm-hmm. let's talk about the crow. One All night, right. one night, a guy and his girl were out celebrating. And they spent all their money on an engagement ring in a house, which is probably why they couldn't afford to go take their car down to the shop to get it serviced, because it breaks down. And while they're trying to fix it, a gang of ne'er-do-wells show up. Shoot Eric in the head twice, rape his girlfriend, leave her for, de- leave her for dead, leave him for dead. And then a tale of revenge takes place. Oh, yeah. The Crow. The Crow. So break it down, Matthew. You're the one that recommended this book this week. I am, because it's scary, blah, scary stuff. Ooh, Halloween-y-like things. This, if you have seen the movie The Crow, you have <laughs> roughly 12 to 15% of what actually happens in this book. Kind of sort of there, but in a different order. And uh, as Steven said, there's a bad thing, and then there's a shooting on the road. And there has been some, uh, some, a, a little bit of dissonance among those of us who actually read it this week as to whether Eric dies or not. Either way, well, he dies one year later. There's, yes. there's no and doubt that he dead. dies. They say right there that he died and on the, the operating table. And but... a year later, a crow resurrects him. No, it doesn't say a year later a crow resurrects him. Yeah, see, this is this is what's going to uh, cause <laughs> the podcast to uh, break into two separate sects. Probably, there's the ones that right. say that the crow, <laughs> the was, crow up, re- was up and around a few minutes right. later, and the ones that say that it took a year for him to resurrect. I'm, right. I'll just be Stephen an apologist. Is, is, Stephen is a, a secular crowite, whereas I myself am actually probably he's more a, of he's a, a old crow. <laughs> We only have the first three chapters. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was funny. Okay, so, <clears throat> anyway, a year later, Eric, either having come back from the dead at some point, or awakened on an operating table at some point, sets in motion an elaborate, well, I wouldn't even say elaborate, an inexorable plot for revenge against the the gang schmucks who right. killed his girlfriend right and it's interesting to note that this book was done in stages over the course of i want to say like five or six years ten, ten years from start to finish so so even from page to page you can watch uh obar's art evolving well and um i honestly go ahead and say what you're gonna say I honestly actually read the last book first, uh, 
about a year or so before the movie came out. And I can't tell you whether the movie being in production made me read the comic or whether the comic coming back out because the movie was in production came to my attention. But I read like the last chapter first Mm. and then went back and filled in. Now, this is one where I do not own all of the original issues because, quite frankly, they are nearly impossible. Well, yeah, if you can find if you can find the original issues, you've got a mint right there. But these are collected, mm-hmm. and there's a couple of different versions. And the ones that we, the one that we are reading is the author edition. The author edition mm-hmm. came out much, 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 much later, and includes yeah. all of the dreamy sequences, all of the emo poetry, mm-hmm. uh, all of that stuff is included in here. So when we talk about evolution of the art, I just really do not like the art in this book. Um, but mm-hmm. I can see that as his art is evolving. Um, and especially when you add in these dream sequence parts where it's all kind of like a watery wash kind of look to it. Yeah. You can see the evolution of the art of what would have come, you know, 10 years later or 15 years later or whenever the, uh, these bonus sections were added in. Um, but initially the art just doesn't, doesn't do much for me. There are some panels which look really brilliant and then there are some where it's just, I don't know, a mess to me. Well, and it's a very young I mean, even near the end, it's a very young artist at work. And I I think that probably, for me, the biggest complaint about the Crow book, this actual comic book, this collected series, is what it spawned. Not just the Crow movie, not just the Crow TV series, not just the endless Crow Redux limited series that have come out from like 10 different characters, but kind of, you know, big chunks of, of the... Uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm not casting aspersions, but big chunks of some of the, the youthful culture about the time that I was getting out of the youth and some of the, the emo kids cutting themselves and things of that nature. Again, not casting aspersions. It's just, it seems like the iconography of this book has blown up huge and it's gone places that I'm just kind of like, really? I don't know. So that's, that's kind of a thing for me. Yeah. And it's, it's a, this is your typical. No, this is your prototypical. Okay, this is your prototypical revenge film because it's just like, let's go from person to person to person and tell me how you're going, you know, who's next, where they're at. I'm going to kill you. And then at the end, I should have some sense of relief and vindication or the sense of justice of killing all these people in brutal ways. And we do see some pretty brutal murders. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's one point where um, he pops out on, on some gangster guy and slashes his got a samurai sword and just slashes his legs off to where the guy passes out for a moment and he wakes up and he goes, Hey, how come you took off my boots and they're laying over there? Can I put on my boots? I'm getting cold and I'm getting sleepy. And and Eric, uh, the crow, uh, Eric is saying, Hey, uh, tell me where the next person is and you you can put on your boots. And he's like, okay, I'll tell you where the guy is. Uh, I'm going to go to sleep now. I guess I don't, I don't need those boots because he's bleeding out all over the street. Right. Uh, the bad guys are presented as vile bad guys. You've got mm-hmm. drug dealers. You've got gangbangers. You've got rapists. You've got uh, potentially child molesters. Maybe I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's not really super clear on that part. But some of them are are some of them have a regret for what they've done. You know, I I feel yep. bad that I'm this way. Others of the villains are like, you know what? I'm a bad guy, and though I know I'm a bad guy, I don't regret a single thing I've done because society has made me this way. Rodrigo, what are some thoughts on on this book? What I thought was, uh, here's the thing. When I started, when I was like, oh, we're going to do The Crow, and I'm like, oh, that's 
kind of too bad because the crow is that prototypical like 90s badass right it's where mm-hmm. all 90s badass ex- badasses exploded out of um that's a weird way of putting that <laughs> you know um, you got the pepto-bismol will take yes. care of that well <laughs> clearly there's a there's a serious lack of pink in the 90s <laughs> but um it, it's it's interesting because one of the you know when you first see him the the guy is like, oh, yeah, who are you? I'm a shank you and shanks him, right? And he's like, that does not hurt me because I am awesome and I am the crow. Now tell me where those guys are. And eventually he talks the guy into telling him where the guys where right. the other guys are. I'm like, oh, well, maybe this book isn't at all what I thought it was going to be. Did you think it was going to be supernatural stuff? No, no, well, that's it's not that. It's, I thought it was just going to be... Somebody opens the door, screen goes red. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he remembers himself being shot down in his wedding dress. Right. Um, and, <laughs> and, and go from there. Yeah. So when I saw this first sequence, I was like, oh, maybe there's more to this. But pretty soon there wasn't. Right. Um, really, my main complaint about this, and really it's the only real complaint that I have about it. Um, and we'll get to what I, what I like about it maybe a little bit more uh my main complaint about this book is that there's no conflict mm-hmm. you know there's plenty of action there's, there's plenty of fighting strife and conflict i miss my whatever her name is that's not conflict though because there's nothing that's stopping angst. him from missing her hmm. you know i mean yep. he can't be with Surely. her but right. that's the thing he can't be with her so it's not like she's kidnapped and the bad guys are keeping her from right, him. Right, right, right. That's done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a done deal from the beginning that he's just going to kill them all. He's never in danger. You never say, oh, no, the crow might not finish, or, you know, Eric might not finish his uh, his roaring rampage of revenge. Yeah. Um, at, you know, from the beginning, it's very clear what's going to happen throughout. And partially, that's kind of annoying. Because I read three more volumes that I felt I needed to, you yeah. know, because you're, I, I know what he's going to do. You just have to watch him do it. Now, what I did like about it is that this is a very, like, for, for just simple thing, it's a very ambitious book. Mm-hmm. And the author seems to just really throw himself into yeah, it. Yeah, so I mean, a little bit of history. There's a lot going on here, and it's all... It all even you know I, I'm not gonna say that it's like this guy lost somebody or blah blah. Yeah, blah, he did. Like, this oh, is actually the story. Okay. So when James O'Barr was 18 years old, he lost his fiance to a d- drunk driver. Mm. 18 years old, lost the love of his life, totally devastated by this. And so he, I don't, I don't think I the history that I'm reading. I don't know if he was already in the military, but at the time where he decided to work on this comic or start this comic in 1981, he was in Berlin in the military and he thought that this comic, this story that we're seeing, this revenge story would help ease that pain. Uh, but instead, Obar goes on record as saying, this is almost like rubbing salt into the wound. It just m- compounded yeah. the situation. And it wasn't until 1989 when he had that first volume completed. So eight years that he spent working on uh, that first volume, whatever it was, Torture and Pain or whatever the, the, the first volume is. Right. And uh, then that was released by Caliber. And uh, then, of course, it goes on. It's a couple of three years later, they canceled it. Three years later, he had the next uh, volume started. And then I think it was like 10 years um, by the time that the entire volume that we're reading is done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it does come from somebody who yeah. 
went through some kind of pain. And it's clear that there's something very personal here. Even, you know, I mean, I didn't know any of this. But it's it's clear from the poetry, from the way that the characters express themselves, mm-hmm. that there is, like, it, this is a serious attempt at a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the author is trying to engage you in this <laughs> bloody mess, but it's actually, you know, yeah. there's, there are points that he's trying to make. Mm-hmm. And those, I feel, yeah. came across pretty well. And, and, and I think were that enjoyable. it's... it's, it's easy to kind of look at this and and to dismiss the parts of it that feel like adolescent poetry that feel like that you know the the teenage angst that feels like it's really informed by a viewpoint that's even younger than the youngest of us by like a decade Mm -hmm. but i think that's exactly what i love about this is that it is such a not necessarily pure, but it's such an unfiltered viewpoint. And it reminds me of being that, oh, 19 is so difficult. And one truly is the one, the loneliest number. You know, it, it, it channels into that. It's the same thing where, you know, sometimes I'll sit up and, you know, I like to listen to certain music because it makes me feel sad. Mm-hmm. There, there's a particular song on, on my, uh, my, I don't call it an iPod, the MP3 player of my Android phone. That if I'm at work, I can't listen to. If I'm sitting at, you know, and I'm bagging comics and Toto's 99 comes up, cannot listen to it there. I have to listen to it either in the car or at some point where I can just sit there and go, oh, I'm so sad right now. Oh, that's rough. And this because I've, because I brought yeah. that up on the show before. Like that yeah. song specifically. Go back and, and listen. I was like, Matthew, yeah, I'm like, Matthew's listen. acting weird now. Which song yeah. is that? Listen to the point where 99. Rodrigo brings oh. up. And it's it's about ten episodes ago. Rodrigo brings up Toto's ninety nine. For the rest of that show, I am remarkably low key because that song's in my head, and I'm like, <sighs> but that's fun, and it's you know it's kind of I don't know it's kind of liberating in a way to take your inner eighteen year old and let him angst and let him just kind of go, I miss you, Shelley, and you know living alone in the empty house and shooting down the people that murdered your love. Everything that I love has died, and I have lost everything, so now I'm going to murder people in particularly horrible ways. So even the parts of the the story that don't work for me, the parts where there's a little too much you know, Ian Curtis of Joy Division in the in the art, or a little too much, you know, quoting a, a Rimbo or whomever that person is. I still enjoy it because it's such a such a specific, such a personal, I guess, perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And throughout you can actually see, you know, because it took so long for this book to be written and drawn, you see that adolescent kind of growing in, in as an artist, and that never really going away, but having it kind of you know, change kind of age, like, you know, bad cheese or maybe good cheese. So that's, that's part of the thing that I really enjoy about this book is that point where you can just be a depressed 17 year old again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the more interesting aspect for me, you know, all of this taken into account, I was just like, so uh, in the movie, he's supposed to be like a supernatural, Spirit of Vengeance kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But in this book, yeah. is he a supernatural spirit or is he simply a man that is been through major surgery after having half his head blown off, got metal plates in his head and probably, 
metal plates in his body, which is why some of these things don't bother him. We see him shooting up morphine to help uh, kill the pain. Um, one can imagine that he might have a metal plate in his head if half your brain is missing. Um, and if you think about the strange case of Phineas Gage, it might explain a lot of his detachment and his inability to feel some pain. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I went about it. Not as some spirit, supernatural spirit, because the spirit guide, the crow is the one that is the, is it real or isn't it real aspect of the story? Um, you know, I, I, I I saw the movie first, so I did not... You know, once once you brought it up, I was like, oh yeah, you could read it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. going back through, there's nothing that explicitly says. And then I came back from the dead. But I saw, especially some of the uh, uh, your chiaroscuro, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, softer yeah. moments as either allegorical or, or possibly like straight up. Um, what I want to say, like uh, representations of that journey, and there's this, there's this thing where he's on a train and he sees a horse get mm-hmm. wrapped up in some barbed wire mm-hmm. and stuff, and I was like, yeah. I, I interpreted that as like him remembering actually coming, literally coming mm. back from the dead. Mm. Like that's that's what mm-hmm. I figure that was. But again, there's nothing; it's never explicit, so that could yeah. very well be the fever dream of somebody who was shot in the head. True, right? True, true, true. And for me, when we get to that that climax where he, you know. He climbs onto Shelley's grave, and my mind looked at it. There's two headstones set right next to each other. My brain says, okay, one is Shelley's grave, one is his, but it doesn't explicitly say that. There's nothing in the text that, you know, there's there's nothing that says, you know, Eric's dead. There's nothing right. in this book that gives Eric a last name. The last name Eric Draven is actually something that was put together for the movie. So he is just Eric throughout this entire text. Mm-hmm. So I think that that, you know, the fact that there is no headstone is part of the fact that Eric is just Eric. Eric is author avatar in this case, essentially mm-hmm. taking out, you know, whatever the writer's rage is against personifying something that cannot be personified and taking out, you know, the rage that he felt and the loss that he felt mm-hmm. on imaginary straw people, kind of you know, like a fight on the internet. And I'm and I'm certainly not trying to take away from what suppose you know what the intent was behind this in a way to get rid of the get rid of the the pain that the author was suffering from, um, but I don't think that the well the people who have seen the con, uh, seen the movie I don't think know the backstory like Rodrigo right. didn't know yeah. the backstory about this so that gives Different rise world. to all of the people who want to think of the crow as that angst only hello my name is simon and i'm sad kind of kind of uh <laughs> lifestyle um yeah but i don't know i this book There's... really except for the revenge aspect of it this book really didn't mm-hmm. do anything for me the one thing that i really appreciate and i had forgotten when I did this rereading is we see the brutal murder of top dollar. We see Tin Tin get right. pinned down. We see fun boy killed on panel with an overdose. We see all these people brutally murdered and the ringleader of it all T bird. We get to the end and Eric basically chases T bird mm-hmm. in his resurrected car to the point where they're in the road where T-Bird killed him and killed Shelly. 
and it fades to black, we don't see what happens to T-Bird. And Wait, that is the one, imagination. Of the most, one of the most horrifying parts of this story, because I start thinking, you know, we saw Skank get his head cut off, and we saw Tintin get, you know, to, to use the line from the movie, he got uh, knives stuck in all of his organs in alphabetical order. My God, think about what happened to T-Bird at the end here. Well, I it's mean, certainly the, the only thing that we're left to uh, to know is that final panel where Eric's holding a hammer and then it goes to black. And I'm trying to think of the Coen. The uh, is it Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers movie where there's that scene where the guy's just dragging this shovel on the asphalt of the highway and you got this low shot that kind of tracks with that shovel just dragging on the highway and you hear it going and there's the guy at the side of the road just basically like no no and then you don't know what happens next you see the shovel handle go up mm-hmm. but you don't know what happens next presumably the person is dead um i've never seen that movie so. I, I think that's the one it is um but uh but that's kind of you know you leave it up to the imagination of how brutal the final sequence of his demise is going to be. Or did you think he's not even dead? Me? Yeah. T-Bird? Oh. Yeah, do you think he gave T-Bird's, him... T-Bird's dead as hell. He, uh, I mean, in my head, yeah, the the death of T-Bird is really kind of the point of all this. It's mm-hmm. it's the the Grand Guignol, if you will. It's It's the, you know, the thing that he has been doing. He's been building up to the point where he gets his revenge on T-Bird, and then he goes and he's dead again, or in your case, dead for the first time. Yeah. But he was dead. Well, yeah, (laughs) they say he died on the operating table, and then he wakes up, and there's a cop standing there going, hey, you know, uh, sorry what happened to you, kid. Sorry what happened to your girlfriend. You think of anything, give me a a call. Here's my card, see? Ah, yeah, me and my nephew Bajerko, she Captain Hook is actually one of the things that I found to be really tonally uh, difficult mm-hmm. because it's, the, you know, it's this poetic story of life and death and pale skin and taking revenge. And then they've got this this comedy bit, this recurring little, you know, Abbott and Costello shtick with Captain Hook. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. I don't remember any of this in the Brandon Lee movie. This is all silly stuff here. But eh, I don't, uh, by no means is it a perfect work. But it's definitely a fascinating work. And it's one that I can sit here and just go back and forth over it. And I think it's one that because, exactly because of the problems that we had, well, not problems, I guess the different interpretations that we ran into. Right. I think that's what makes it interesting. That's what makes it so revisitable. And that's what makes, if you go to the C's in the Overstreet comic book price guide, there are literally two dozen crow spinoffs and miniseries and crossovers and crow razor and crow witchblade and crow witchblade weasel guy, you know, earth girl. So, I mean, there's a lot here and it's not it's not just prototypical it's actually almost archetypical in that there's so many different ways that you could look at this and so much that you can read into it and to some degree have to because i think of the of the relative youth and inexperience of the storyteller that i i think that's why it's become such a phenomenon is you put into it 
as much as you get out of it. So for me, you know, 1989, I'm buying this book and going, oh, wow, this is very meaningful. I'm 19. It's a little different than if the first time you pick it up, you're 41 years old. So I can definitely see how my interpretation is probably colored by my history with both this comic book and with the character as a property. Yeah, and I would say, you know, if if people want to see an evolution of an art style, I think this book is a good example of an evolution of an art style. Not necessarily a good example of storytelling, uh, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess, you know, your mileage is always going to vary. Bottom line for me is... borrow it from a friend, check it out from the library, but I don't think that this is in a collected form anything to get. Now, I know that the movie was very popular and there are a number of uh, spinoff books. IDW now is doing a new ongoing, or is it a miniseries? I don't know what that is. That's coming out soon. Uh, But this is something that probably is not for everybody. Um, You know, (laughs) as far as a a work, I'd really hope for the complete thing you know good story good art all that stuff um you know the this book is now important because of what it represents and what it kickstarted more so than right. any of its individual merits so again you know if you if you want to see where wolverine comes from pick up the crow <laughs> if you aren't all that interested then there's probably not going to be all that much in here for you yeah matthew final thoughts Well, first off, I want to start with my entertaining piece of Crow trivia. Uh, There was a Crow television series in the mid-1990s, and the actor who played Eric Draven in the Crow television series is currently playing Chairman Kaga's nephew on Iron Chef America. So that's fun, because, you know, now I'm old and I watch the Food Network. But secondly, and I think more importantly, this is a book... That is, for me, it's fun to read because it's it's as, as much about James O'Barr and James O'Barr, you know, dealing with a pretty huge tragedy and putting it in perspective and putting it in a referential perspective in that it's taking things that he loves, like, you know, the British New Wave bands and guys in pancake makeup and ultraviolence. You know, there's a there's a very strong kind of. Uh, 70s kung fu flick ultraviolence here that I kind of like. I honestly love this book. And part of that is because of when I read it. And part of that is because I love the movie. But I know that not everybody is going to really love it. I would say it's definitely a check it out. Don't necessarily pay for it unless you already know it and love it. But if you're, if you're willing to go and sit down and just kind of be depressed and listen to Toto's 99 on a gray October afternoon and just kind of think about the girls you loved who are now dead or also, in my case, all 40 and have children. How is it that all the women I went to high school with are now 40-ish MILFs? How does that work? I don't know. I'm still 17. But I say definitely it's, it's worth a look, if only to see his art evolving over the decade or so that this book was put together. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, have you read the other Crow uh, series that have come out, or have you another just, the Crow? I, yes, another the Crow. Another the Crow. No, I haven't. Um, I believe that I read a crossover, the Crow and Razor. Yeah, yeah who yeah. was a bad girl, and I read that because we had a big batch of Razor come into the store, and I write the eBay solicitations. 
And I couldn't write an eBay solicitation that went, back in 1994, if it had Bugzungas, it would sell. So I actually read the Crow Razor to get a feel for the Razor character so I could put something meaningful in the thing. But no, I haven't read any of the sequels, any of the other stuff. I didn't really watch the television series except in passing. I don't think I've seen the uh, the second and third movie. I think I saw the fourth, the one with Kirsten Dunst. But I think I saw that more out of Kirsten Dunst envy. So no, I haven't. Oh, okay. I just didn't know if it was more of the same. It looks like the uh, the other books that come out are focusing on different characters. So it's not the same Eric mm-hmm. character. Yeah, I books. think it's kind of it. The thing that I always liken it to is it's kind of like Grendel. Uh, Matt Wagner's Grendel is kind of the, the iconography goes with it. You have different characters in the mask and different characters who die and, and are metaphorically and sometimes, you know, completely straightforwardly resurrected to become a crow. But my problem is if it's a crow, it's not necessarily the crow. And because this is so personal, I'm not sure I want to be a part of a whole crow franchise or, you know, watch a crow television show or go to a crow amusement park. (laughs) Ride the heroin addiction. Yeah. Space Mountain in Crow Park is scary. You don't want that wraps it up for this week's edition of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you for being a part of the complete Major Spoilers experience next week. I think this is a Rodrigo suggestion, actually, isn't it, Rodrigo? Mm-hmm. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Valve Presents, The Sacrifice and Other Steam-Powered Stories. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers Forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm Star Raven, it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read up on all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a king sign throwing soldier. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler.
Major spoilers is copyright 2011.